0: Rhodium, my employer, is hiring for lots of jobs. We're looking for analysts covering macroeconomics and climate economics, as well as a BD role. And nearest and dearest to my heart, we're also hiring for a class of spring interns. Deadline is January 6th, and there's an essay attached, so be sure to start early. RHG.com slash careers. A few weeks ago, I read my first young adult fiction book, probably since Harry Potter. It was absolutely blown away by Shiran Zhao's Iron Widow, which is a young adult Pacific Rim meets Handmaiden's Tale retelling of Wu Zetian uh, with sort of like mechs and Chinese history and acupuncture and female empowerment all wrapped into this like absolutely amazing bow, which for a uh, a woman just only one or two years out of uni was an incredible accomplishment. Shiren um, has been on the podcast uh, about a year ago talking about uh, a Chinese history, and it's really exciting to get to bring her back um, as she has sort of evolved into a published uh, fiction author and and the creator of one of my favorite YouTube channels, which explores the representation of Chinese uh, culture in popular culture. Uh, co-hosting today is Kaylin Quinn, China's editor responsible for making this show sound a lot better than it was before I brought her along. Kaylin is a journalist based in Tbilisi, Georgia. Siron, so your book hit number 1 in the young adult New York Times charts and it's got a pretty unique uh, sp- uh u- unique set of topics which you're exploring could you give the uh the audience a brief synopsis
1: all right so iron widow takes place in this like futuristic world based on uh pre-colonial china where it's besieged by like these giant mecha aliens kind of like cybertronians from outer space and they are like Help on destroying human civilization. So like this world, Huaxia has created the Great Wall to protect against these Hun Duns. And then they've also, they're also capable of making giant meccas out of the Hun Duns um, husks. And they call them chrysalises. And these chrysalises are giant mecca that take one boy and one girl to pilot, supposedly. <laughs> and, but except this piloting system works against the girls, so the uh, girl pilots die more often. And because of this, the boy pilots become celebrities, while the girl pilots are just seen as their concubines, and they're seen as disposable. And the protagonist, Zitian's sister, dies as one of these concubines, and she's so mad about this that she, like, enlists herself as a concubine to go and assassinate the male pilot responsible for this, because she knows that, like, no one else is going to kill him or hold him accountable. And so, yes, that is the plot of the story. Uh, Shiran, how do you dream this stuff up? Iron Widow was uh, conceived when I watched the anime Darling in the Franks, and do not Google this anime in polite company. But anyway, it had a very interesting, like, concept of, like, pairing a boy and a girl together to pilot giant mechas, but it didn't go the direction that I wanted it. it to go. Like The first half was really good, but then the second half is, like, universally, like, derided. So it was, it was not, it did not go there. And so I was ranting to a friend about it. And then suddenly that rant like spiraled out of control and it got so, I I was just ranting about like, oh, what I wish they had done differently. And then the rant spiraled so out of control that I was like, hey, I could write this as like an actual novel and I think it'll be pretty good. And then I decided to bring in like the retelling of the Wu Zetian aspect because Um, I decided to make the piloting system misogynist because I wanted to use it as um, a tool, a metaphor to explore gender roles and female oppression. And then that reminded me of Chinese harem dramas. And we all know that there's no big, like there is no bigger like harem winner, harem drama winner than Wu Zetian's,
2: of course. So that's why I decided to like do this whole thing. So how long did it take you to write? Was this like a COVID lockdown project or it was going on before? It was going on before in my last um, last few semesters of university. Um, on and off, it took me five months to write. You know, the, the thing I found like really interesting um, about the book is these sort of little motifs and Easter eggs kept popping up, you know, names that sounded oddly familiar, you know, that I probably heard on Chinese history podcasts oh, or yeah. something. Um, can you talk a little bit about, like, the influences? Oh, yeah. So it's definitely, like, it's not even just um, a reimagining of the Tang Dynasty, but it's
1: it's like Chinese history all-stars. Because, like, you must have noticed that the, all the provinces are named after a different dynasty. And then, like, characters from different dynasties are from different provinces. So you have, like, Zhuge Liang and Tsumai, like, rushing over. Well, Zhuge Liang didn't rush over. It was Yi who rushed over from the San Guo province. And then in canon, the Sangu province is like really chaotic and it's like the province nobody wants to be because like it's full of just gangs and like factions warring. And then the Tong province is like really big, but it's also like bundled with the Sui province in in defense matters because the Sui province is really small, but it's really
0: rich. (laughs) You just seemed like you were having so much fun when you were writing this i mean was this all was there sort of research going on simultaneously or had you ingested enough of enough of this content to kind of just have it sort of spill out of you
1: oh i definitely just like um yeah it was just me like spilling out the content and honestly it's like the amount of history that a chinese boomer would know because my my um, parents boomer chinese boomer friend group got a hold of uh, the book and then they were just, like, laughing at all the Easter eggs in it because, like, there's, uh, especially, like, how Wu Zetian's little brother is named Wu da Long. And, yeah, they got a kick out of that. And, like, the only reason that I had him as had him as uh,
2: Wu Zetian's little brother was just, like, for the shits and giggles, you know? What would you say are, like, <laughs> your biggest Easter eggs you'd want people to notice reading the book? Uh, the fact that wontons are how they pronounced huentun um, in the South. And the
1: soup, the lore is that wonton soup was like made out of like um, the the Huasha people's hatred of Huns. So they're like, oh, we're gonna make you into soup and we're gonna eat you every morning because you know Chinese people they have this tradition of naming naming dishes after their enemies, after people they hate. Yeah, top one. Um, just number two, I guess the name Xia itself because I don't think that's a term that people not familiar with Chinese history and like deep Chinese lore would know but it's Xia is like this ancient name for China. And what's number three? Uh, I guess just the the fact that the Zhuge Liang and Sima partnership was destined to fail <laughs> like um because like um toward the end like Sima does this thing and should, should I spoil it? No, 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 no spoilers on this. But like toward the end, smai does this thing and everyone who's not familiar with Chinese history, they're
2: like, oh my God, how could he? But, you know, if you're familiar with Chinese history, you saw it coming. Can you talk a bit about the historical character, of Wu Zetian, and why, you know, he decided to get inspiration from her?
1: Well, Wu Zetian is the only female emperor in Chinese history. And she just inspires this book because like really like she is the single most accomplished chinese woman in all time of all time so and i really was inspired by just like the ways in which she made it to the top despite like all the patriarchal pressures that were placed upon her and i wanted to just invoke that spirit in this like really dystopian um misogynist environment like sci-fi futuristic world Zetian from my novel, is basically like the historical Zetian reimagined like if she were reincarnated in this world and then had to deal with all of it
0: you know the the treatment of 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 women as you alluded to a few times in in our conversation so far is one of the central themes in this book. There's a beautiful image you have of uh the protagonist Zetian who uh grew up with bound feet for the first time, sort of getting hooked up to the the mecca uh you know the Gundam like your imagination of a Gundam suit, it, it, you, you have her saying infinite possibilities open to me at once. That's right. I'm no longer human. I've been set free from my broken body, that husk of flesh and bone that has prepared all its existence to be used for the whims and pleasures of men. Um, and then, you know, she goes and ends up like bounding through the sky and, uh, you know, is able to move without pain for the first time, you know, since she was a toddler, probably. Um, uh, Sharon, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, uh, th- that moment and and more generally, sort of like the, the the freedom which um which which this the the sort of experience of being inside the mecca gives um gives gives a tend that the rest of society wouldn't.
1: So, like uh, first, I want to talk about why I included foot binding in this novel, and it's because foot binding is a thing that has always haunted me since I was a kid. Because you know, like of course, as a kid, like you learn about it. And then it's at at foot binding. The thing is, it's so close. It's actually like not that far off from his, from like modern day. Like it, like it was only stopped like a hundred years ago. So like even as a kid, I would just like constantly be reminded that if I were born a hundred years ago, then that would have been my fate. Like that, like that would have happened to me. So and then it's just always haunting me because it's like, why? Why would you do this? And then it's just, it's like the epitome of patriarchal oppression to me, just like, Yeah, it's definitely just the epitome of patriarchal oppression for me. And so I felt like it was important to put it in this book that like specifically talks about misogyny just because it like exemplifies all that's wrong with like the oppression of of women. So that's why I included footbinding in the world of Iron Widow. And then the thing with like the chrysalis the giant mechas in Iron Widow is that they are a symbol of power and freedom. So, like, the moment that Zetian gets into it, then she is, like, set free from her body, basically. The body that, like, has doomed her to all this oppression because she had the misfortune of being born a woman in this world. But then once she gets, like, transcends her moral flesh, transcends her moral coil and into the chrysalis, then suddenly she has all these freedoms. And then after, like, she has tasted that freedom, then she doesn't really want to go back to, like... Um, her oppressed existence so that's that's why she like she fights
2: so hard against the piloting system and her government so what's the sort of science behind powering the meccas so this
1: sci-fi in our widow is that uh, the science part is actually just like traditional chinese metaphysics so it all operates with like the chi and then like um, the five elemental system which is wood fire earth uh, metal and water and so, like, that's what powers the chrysalises, And, like, different types of chi, like, have different effects. And, like, it's actually a very complicated system. But even in the book, I'm like, you don't need to know this. You don't need to memorize this. Just, like, go along with the ride, people. <laughs> and so, yeah, the they use acupuncture needles, like... the. the they use these like tiny needles that get pushed into the pilot's spines to like access the chi flow so the pilots can like transcend their bodies and like be embody the chrysalises instead. Well, let's talk a little bit about
0: Confucianism and the sort of role that it plays in shaping the society you created in your world.
1: Confucianism. So I, I hate Confucius. This is not a secret. I, I hate him. I think um, if you quote Confucius and you, you don't sound deep because he's an asshole. <laughs> Uh so he was very strict on like societal roles and like designated roles for people, right? So his philosophy was very just um if people stay in their lane, then society will function harmoniously. And that's that's just like what the fuck are you talking about, dude? And so um Confucius has been a blight on my life, and probably the blight on like millions of women throughout Chinese history. And there's actually is like the leader Oh, Hua Xia is called Chairman Kong. So that's straight up just a reimagining Confucius. Definitely Zhe Tian is like very plagued by these like Confucian family values and she fights against that, literally crushes it with her giant mecca, literally literally crushing the Confucian patriarchies. Is there a
0: Chinese translation in the works or?
1: No, there is not. And I don't think I'm going to get one unless it comes from Taiwan or Hong Kong. Like, I, I, I feel like
0: There'd be enough of an audience in Taiwan for for this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, probably. So we'll see about that. But definitely, I'm not getting a mainland translation. And then my um my MG book, Zachary Yin and the Dragon Emperor. I am straight up not gonna. I that that book is like my get like my get me barred entry from China because I straight up talk because the protagonist is Hui Chinese, which I am, and like he's just straight up a Muslim. And then
0: his his dad is an executed dissident. So Sharon. We first met on Twitter, and I, I noticed you you've you started to branch out to other platforms. Uh, your first video, you've now, you now have like a dozen or so videos on YouTube, of which I've watched almost every single one. Your first video on everything culturally wrong with Mulan has 3 million views. How does that happen? Like, who blessed you with the content <laughs> creation uh, gift?
1: I don't know. Like, literally, I do not know. Like, you were there when I uploaded my first video. And then I just threw it on. And then you were the one who actually told me that it was getting like 100,000 views because I had like, I I just threw it on YouTube. And then it didn't really like get that many views its first day. Like, I think like a couple thousand. So I was like, eh. And then you were the one who told me that it had started going viral. And then at that point, I was like, oh, what the hell? And then I completely did not intend to become a YouTuber at all. But then that video ended up getting me like 80,000 subscribers, which is like without one video. So I was like, you know what? I have to keep doing videos because like this is too like this is too big of an audience to like not use. So, yeah, I kept doing videos. And then now I have like three around 350,000. So it's really just incredible because like, again, this is completely unintentional.
0: What do you think is like the philosophy or mission statement of the of the videos you make?
1: I just I really just um, I am there to like demystify Chinese culture and talk about Chinese history. Like I have a few videos on like the life of the actual Wu Zetian, and they're used, like an hour long. <laughs> so if you want to know about like the actual details of her life, then I have videos on that. And then I want to continue doing lots of videos about like Chinese mythology and history, and probably everybody's been asking me to do Shang-Chi. So the moment that comes out on digital, I'm going to
0: do a dissection of that. Why do you think it's important? So a lot of your videos here on are taking the way, you know, mainstream popular culture represents China and sort of critiquing it for like, you know, authenticity and goodness. Why do you think that's an important conversation to have?
1: Just because um, a lot of times these Western-made productions are not written with like, are not written by actual Chinese people. So like I want people to know the reactions of like someone who is Chinese and watching this and then all the stuff that like feels wrong to me. And of course, it's like all my personal opinions, but still like I watched Mulan 2020 and it just like felt wrong in so many different ways. And that's basically what my first video is about, like why this felt wrong to me as a Chinese person.
0: Uh, What do you think the most rewarding part of making these uh, YouTube videos has been?
1: Definitely the reaction of diaspora, because a lot of, I have a lot of messages from diaspora or like adoptees or like Chinese people. Well, yeah, Chinese people in Southeast Asia are also diaspora. But like they come and tell me that they didn't grow up with much of a connection to their heritage. And then my videos really like fill that void for them. Like they make them feel more connected to their Chinese heritage. And they see me as kind of just like the, the wacky relative who like comes and tells them Stories from like Chinese history and stuff, I guess, and you know they they tell me that that and uh, how grateful they are um, for that. And then I had an in person book signing the day my book was launched, and then I went there and then I met this girl who like when she met me she started crying and then telling me like how she never really felt connected to her Chinese her- uh, culture before my videos, but now after watching them she's like. Um, getting connected and then she's taking she's even taking like Chinese dance lessons and I was like wow you're crying because you met me what is going like I'm so touched like it's weird to think that you have that effect on people you know so like definitely in those reactions are what keeps me going like for the diaspora and I know that a lot of yeah not a lot, a lot of like Chinese diaspora in Southeast Asia follow me too for my content and I just like oh i'm I'm so honored and so grateful for
2: that they like come and watch my videos and, and like it does have an impact on them and yeah, it's just incredible to feel do you think for the next few years you're gonna have plenty of material then of uh, sort of interesting Western takes on Chinese culture?
1: Well, as long as um, Western Westerners keep making stuff about like Chinese culture, then I'll have stuff to talk about. But yeah, uh, my my list, my to-do list for my videos is like a mile long. There's so much stuff on it. And I keep getting requests and the qu- requests get like strangely, like they get so like strangely specific. They're like, oh, can you talk about this one episode from this um, Netflix short story collection um and I'm like, oh my God, why? Even if I do videos on Chinese myth, myth and history alone, then I, I will never run out of material, okay? There's like
2: 3,000 years worth of material there. I, I'm i not running out anytime soon. One of the things I like most about your um YouTube videos, I love the hairstyles, uh, the makeup that you do. <laughs> like I've been trying them out myself and they just don't work on my hair. Well, that's because, like, in the Tang Dynasty, they were all about, like, big hair
1: and, like, elaborate hairstyles and stuff, right? So I had to, like, get into the spirit of that and just, like, do, make my most, like, Tang Dynasty hair. And I get a lot, a lot of my hair, like, my secret is just wig pieces. I I order a lot of wig pieces from Taobao. And yes, unfortunately, they only come in black because uh, black hair. And yeah, so I just plop them on. And yeah, actually, the Wu um hair did take me a long ass time to do because it's it's very hard to secure.
0: Can can you describe it?
1: The the, the hair it's like a it's like bunny ears. You're
2: gonna I don't know. You're gonna have to like go. I watch my video to see the hairstyle.
0: We'll have it. We'll have it be the cover art. you
2: So I mean, I think one of the sort of interesting things is you know obviously there is like a. There's a Chinese movie, Mulan, that I think came out a few years ago. The 2009 one? Okay, so 12 years ago. Um, you know, and you have, like, say, Squid Game from Korea and, like, you know, K-dramas and things becoming really popular. Do you think that's going to happen with Chinese TV shows taking off in, say, the U.S.? Well, the, um, they are already taking off, like, especially um, the Dan
1: stuff, which um, stuff like d like, that's really popular. So yes, I can de- it's definitely becoming more mainstream and it's, um, it's very surreal to feel just because And now I know how Japanese people feel when anime took off. It, it's a weird feeling. Like you, you see people like messing up the names and then just like being confused about why stuff is happening and like just being confused about why they have long hair. And it's like, you, you, like that's something that you didn't even know would need to be explained to people, but it does. So, yeah, very <laughs> strange feeling. If you want my opinion on the 2009 Mulan movie, I did give it at the end of my, like, Mulan 2 dissection, but I was not a fan of that movie. It was so <laughs> dull. The superior one is the 1965 or something Mulan movie. Lady General Fa Mulan, that is the superior Mulan adaptation. Yeah, that's
0: what that one's by the <laughs> Shaw Brothers. Yeah, Sharon, what have you noticed, like, what in particular has, a, I'm not sure how much sort of, like, mainland content you consume, but. Um you know what strike struck you about the sort of like uh twenty tens twenty twenties historical content which has been made um that sort of touch on, on somewhat similar themes to uh you know say uh what your book gets into for instance so
1: i am um so as for mainland content d- definitely there's like been so much more censorship lately that um, of course the themes are all very um the this the themes are all very like distilled. Well, not distilled, but I just like, you can definitely see people trying to get their ideas across under the very strict censorship. And, and yet everyone's worried about like making this whole TV show and then it never gets past the censors. So like you simultaneously have shows like The Untamed and then like Word of Honor, where it's like actually like, straight up adapted from dime novels. Like they're supposed to be boys love. And these shows, they become really popular, but also like the Chinese censorship bureau is like not happy with those shows. And I'm pretty sure they adapted recently um, Arha, uh, which is another really popular popular.me. And then apparently that show is never going to get released because they're trying to crack down All Boys Love. So you can really see like this like push and pull, this like power struggle or not even power struggle because like creators have no power. But this cr- struggle between creators. And the Chinese government censorship, and they're trying. The creators are trying to do the best they can on their censorship, but you can just feel their frustration. And but like also, there's this trend among Chinese historical dramas for like more historically accurate sets and costumes, and they have done that. But the writing is again, it's the writing is just not there because they're under so much pressure to like censor themselves and just like produce a sanitized version of like their scripts so like Chinese dramas they look amazing and the production value has gone up so much but the scripts have da- gone so like they have gone so down in quality like my favorite Chinese dramas are still from like years and years ago that are made in like the early 2000s where yeah definitely like I, my favorite TV my uh, Chin- favorite C drama series is tier Chi Yan Ji and that right the writing in it is just so brilliant because it actually like alludes to like um very a lot of political maneuvers and complexity and then how you have to like the struggle between T Lan, who is like a clean official, versus Glition, who is like a corrupt official. But Halition's like, you know, most officials are corrupt. So like that's why like I will always have more power than you, even though that you have the moral upper hand. And so like that show went into a lot of that and it's just amazing. Like, um, it may not have been historically accurate, but the story it told is just, it definitely had a message. But nowadays, just because of the rapid censorship, you have, um, you have dramas that look amazing. They're like, they look like they have a lot of budget and definitely there's a lot of thought that goes into the, the costumes and set designs, but their stories are just complete shit. And so, yeah, that's what's frustrating to me about modern
2: sea dramas is that, like, the stories are restricted. It looks good, but there's no substance. What do you think is specifically that's being cut out that you would like to see included more in modern sea dramas?
1: Um, just political maneuverings and just, especially a sense of the Chinese and also morally gray protagonists. So the, the Chinese censorship bureau just really frowns upon protagonists protagonists who don't make the morally pure decision they think that they're going to corrupt audiences or something so like you have your main characters who are just it's like the same type of character over and over again like it just has to be the standard hero or nothing and that's just very boring to me and uh, yeah you also can't do you can't have themes that are too like politically ins- and polit- politically like inflammatory because then again, that make that the Chinese censorship bureau is not happy about that. So like, you really can't have substance because you can't be
2: like inflammatory or critical. Everything just ends up like a romance fest. So if they were to make a TV show of your book, it would have to be cut.
1: Literally everything. Like you just can't make that show.
0: <laughs> so even if even if we can't make your show, I mean, Shiran, like, when are you moving to Hollywood? Like when when is Disney gonna? hire you as a script consultant
2: Uh, i don't i don't trust hollywood and they don't they won't trust me what's your sort of overall take of you know english language content about china on youtube um uh, but let's just say that there is a reason that i'm
1: you know i'm just gonna gotta say too many white people making them there's a reason that like i make an endeavor to like Make videos about Chinese history um, and that stuff instead, just because it's just too many white people.
2: Like they need a Chinese voice on um history tube. I mean, but I suppose you know the bar entry to YouTube is quite low. Do you think there's something putting people up? say diaspora or something who want to talk about China. Well, it's very hard to like get going on YouTube, like like
1: me. My channel got blew up by just complete random chance. So if someone asks me for tips on how to, like, make it on YouTube, too, I don't know what to say to them. Just because I, like, I just did made a video and it blew up. Like, I really can't explain to you why.
0: Anyone anyone else who you think is making good stuff out there that you'd want to uh, uh, recommend, Sharon?
1: Oh, definitely um, Accented Cinema and Cool History Bros. Accented Cinema makes a lot of videos on film and especially like Asian cinema like Hong Kong cinema and he does really good takes and then um, cool history bros he makes videos on East Asian history and like a lot of like Chinese history and he makes such cute animations for them yeah and then so yeah they they are two very like underrated channels especially cool history bros. on. thank you so much for being a part of China
2: Oh thank you for inviting me. And today's outro music is Manta by Lexi Leo.
3: Not as <laughs> simple as the ocean Dive in that catch like I'm chosen Then my 24-carat got you frozen, yeah What the boy on a ship you're me on the surface, that lurking Overhead it up, then gonna make me nervous Really who she just shandong Bush in water, she won't lose it But fail huang, this不是我的名字 Now, now, we gotta start the fish And bite me another round i can fresh out of water. i to fly to catch a mile, to China. But I sing don't need to move tight now. But when I bust it up and boy, you better swim. I'm not a waste, I'm a high <laughs> o I'm not a waste, I've been riding on a wave, tripping water tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't need no men, I'll triple quake, I'll and I don't know what I, I don't need no men, I'll triple quake, I'll a romance. I, I fly a lot I come like